Welcome to the Covation Center podcast and the From Bars to Business series. This series focuses on the challenges of reentry for the justice involved and how businesses can benefit from hiring them and make a positive difference in their lives. This podcast is funded through a grant from the First Community Foundation Partnership of Pennsylvania. We've talked about parole and probation. Today, I talk with Toby Oxholm about the third P, a pardon. This episode, Second Chances. Let's get talking. Hi, welcome back to the Covation Center's podcast. Today, I'm pleased to be able to talk about yet another of what I'm calling the three P's. It's not the PPP, Payroll Protection Program, but it's uh, probation parole. And now we're going to be talking about pardon with Toby Oxholm. Toby, welcome to our podcast. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Now you're with uh, the organization Philadelphia Lawyers for Social Equity. Uh, would you mind telling us a little bit about what that organization is and then what the, how the focus is on, on pardons and the things that you do there? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Thank you. Um, Philadelphia Lawyers for Social Equity, Pulse, was formed around 2010-2011 by some civil rights attorneys who wanted to help low-income folks with some of the bigger problems they were facing in their neighborhoods. They did canvassing around Philadelphia and learned that one of the biggest problems that afflicted virtually all the neighborhoods were criminal records. The people had them, couldn't get rid of them, and therefore couldn't succeed um, the way they were. Mm. So starting around 2011, 2012, Paul started filing expungement petitions in Common Pleas Court of Philadelphia, and only on behalf of folks that um, were at 200% of the poverty line and less. Uh, we've been doing that ever since, and last year we filed, I think, 3,000 of them. Um, it's mostly um, computerized now, thanks to uh, computer programs that we've worked out with the Court of Common Pleas. But what we found at the end, after having helped so many people over so many years, was that about 75% of them or so still had a conviction on their records for a felony or a misdemeanor. Now, you can't expunge those without getting a pardon from the governor. So really quickly. Uh, it seem impossible. In fact, Pennsylvania is on the cutting edge of pardon reform now. And it's very possible for lots of so really quickly then, technically, what is an expungement versus a pardon? Yeah, um, and, and people get this confused all the time. A pardon is what the governor gives you. It is an official forgiveness of your, of your crimes. And it's the word the Supreme Court has used is it blots out the very existence of your guilt so that in the eye of the law, the person is thereafter as innocent as if he had never committed the offense. So it's very, right, it's, like, it's a lot of religious overtones here, in fact. We, we could make all sorts of religious references. And that's where pardons come from, right? It starts off with you going into confessional and saying, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. And every religion has some kind of pardon because they believe in second chances as long as you turn your life around. Well, that's what this is. This is the, the business side, the government side that came over to America with William Penn in his charter. That's how old it is in the United States. And so this is a governor's function of clemency. An expungement is a judicial branch function. It is that going into court, having a hearing where the district attorney represents the people, and the individual asks the judge to erase, expunge, any record, criminal record of an offense. Usually, it's only for um, 
uh, arrests that did not end up in a conviction or charges that weren't proved or summary offenses, which are smaller ones. But a judge is not allowed in Pennsylvania to expunge any conviction for a misdemeanor or a felony unless the governor has first pardoned it. So that's how the two fit together. So does that mean that the pardon in and of itself does not expunge the record? The pardon forgives the crime and allows the individual um, the freedom never again to check the box in answer to the question, have you ever been? And the answer is no, I haven't. That's what the law says. But it's still out there on the public record for someone to to just three clicks and they can find it. So if you want to get it off there, you have to go to court still and get the judge to do it. There, there were, um, there was a law introduced last session of the General Assembly that would have made it automatic, but that's not yet the law in Pennsylvania. So, so legally, I, I don't mean to drive too far down into the weeds on this, but this is captivating. So legally, if something is expunged, if you were to ask me, say, let's say we expunge the fact that I've been arrested for uh, arguing with a police officer on a, when I get pulled over. And nothing happens with that. It goes away, but it's still on my record as arrested. If it gets expunged and you say to me, have you ever been arrested? And I say, no, legally, I'm not lying. And legally, it should have been taken off of your arrest record. The judge issues an order commanding the state police, the district attorney, all the judges and the administrative office of the Pennsylvania courts to erase it. Now, typically what that means is they take out a very heavy black magic marker and put a you know, line through it. But with the computer programs, it has to be taken off the public record. So if it's not there, it doesn't exist. You don't have to say you were ever arrested. But again, this is not convictions unless it's for a summary offense or one that's been pardoned by the governor. Okay. Now, ha- having not gone to law school... Uh, but I watch a lot of law shows on TV, right? right? So (laughs) that makes me an expert. I'm right there. I mean, so I I can imagine all of this stuff. Uh, One of the things I I commented on before when we talked about parole and someone made the comment that she would hire a parolee in a heartbeat because of all the things they go through to get on parole and to be paroled. What's the process for someone to get a pardon? What does it really I mean, obviously, it won't tell me anything because I should never actually know that they've been pardoned because <laughs> it's gone. But what what is it telling someone about an individual who gets pardoned? Well, it's an interesting thing because, unfortunately, only about 30% of the people who get pardons have actually gone to the next step and actually gotten it erased from court. So they can have the pardon. They just, you know, it's still a matter of the crime is still a matter of public record. Mm. But here's the thing. The governor is only going to pardon somebody who has gone through a screening process that is two and a half, it has been up to five years long, it's down to two and a half years, that includes an in-depth investigation by the Department of Probation and Parole, a review by the Board of Pardons, and then a public hearing at which the governor, sorry, the, the government, the district attorney, the judges, the victims, the employers, the former spouses or whoever can come talk about the persons applying for the, for the uh, clemency. So this is a very public vetting of who this person is today and what they've done since the time of their conviction to prove that they've really turned the corner and deserve the second chance that only a real pardon can provide. 
Um, so for those who have not gotten pardons, who the governor hasn't signed off or the board hasn't voted to approve them, they have put together a pretty impressive portfolio of all the things that they've achieved, that they have gotten better jobs, that they've gotten badges at work, they've gotten promotions, they've paid off their debts, they've taken commercial loans for their businesses and paid them off, that they have employees, that they've gone back to school, they've gotten their GED, they've gotten licensed, whatever it is, that becomes the current portfolio and statement of who they are. So they can go to any employer or any financial uh, organization like a bank and say, yeah, I did. I was convicted, you know, 15, 20 years of possession of marijuana. But, you know, today, look at what I'm doing. I'm employing all these people. And all I'm trying to do now is get financing for my business, open another restaurant, whatever it may be. Or tragically, things like I want to I want to actually become the guardian for my niece's nephew because my brother's a mess up and the, you know, mm. the Department of Public Welfare is going to place these kids in some stranger family because of my drug conviction when I was crazy. Um, wow. So just putting these things together focuses the person on what they have achieved since the time they were arrested and convicted and puts together a list of things that they can use to prove that they are a completely different person. And that's wonderfully, it gives people hope and it gives, makes them pr proud of who they are in a way that being a convicted felon or an ex-offender or a returning citizen or a check the box kind of guy just sucks them down every day. So it sounds like a lot of these uh, aspects that you're talking about are after a business has given them the opportunity to get hired. So they, they will have been checking the box until they get a pardon. So the pardon doesn't necessarily happen while they're in prison, while they're serving their sentence. It's something that happens as they build that portfolio you were talking about. Right, so let's be very clear about the words here, okay? Um, clemency is what we're talking about. It's the governor being giving you grace or forgiveness, right? If you are currently on probation or parole, or you're currently in prison and want to get out, you need to get a commutation, which is a shortening of your sentence. Okay? okay? A pardon assumes you have already completed it. You're not in prison, you're not on probation, you're not on parole, you're out in the community, and you've probably been out there 5, 10, 15 years struggling as best you can, probably now with a family. So no, you are not saying, hey, I'm in prison, I want to get out. You could, but the chances of getting a pardon are really slim. Um, and you're not under probation and parole because the Board of Pardons wants to make sure that you know, you're out there doing good work, not because you're going to be yanked into prison if you don't, but just because this is who you are these days. So don't be confused. A pardon is really going for people who have already completed their sentences. They're not on probation and parole. But the good news is for those who are on probation and parole is because pardons really now are coming out of the governor very quickly in much higher numbers, and because Pennsylvania is leading the country in pardon reform, but people who do successfully complete their sentences have a very high likelihood of being getting a pardon and being forgiven and having a clean record and doing what they want to the second time around. So they get hope just knowing about the system, which of course keeps them on the straight and narrow while they're still on probation and parole. So, so one of the things I've been learning as we have these conversations, as we as we talk to people that have been in the justice system, as we talk to businesses that hire and organizations that help, one of the things we've been learning is that um, you know we need to 
do the same due diligence we would do in hiring anybody else. Make sure that they have a demonstrated work ethic, make sure they have the skills that we're looking for and all those sorts of things. But as a business owner, if I hire someone who happens to be checking the box and they happen to have a justice involved or back or background barriers, as I've heard they called, uh, we, we can actually look at this as we are contributing to them having those next steps. And we, for whatever reason, if we want to feel good about ourselves, we're in a sense helping them build, oh, I'll borrow it from Joe Biden. We're going to help them build back better if we will. Look, that's, that's really, I couldn't have said it better. Absolutely right. But this isn't just us being nice to those guys, right? These, the people that, that any employer are going to be hiring are qualified people. They're qualified by their experience, by their energy level, their commitment, by what they can showcase they've done. So, you know, don't hire someone with a criminal record because you're being a nice guy. Hire a, a guy with a criminal record because you're selfish and you want to have somebody really, really produce for you. The thing about people with criminal records that isn't uniformly true, but is really true more, way more often than not, is they are incredibly eager for their next job that really allows them to be who they can be. And they don't give up easily on chances like this that are being offered to them. So they're going to produce. I mean, you can predict they're going to produce. But even better than that, for any of us that are in businesses that involve sales to communities, you're, bring, you're taking money and putting more money back into communities that will buy your products. Mm-hmm. And we want to have more out there. Um, Maybe I could tell you about that study that just came out last year. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, let's, I love studies because it means somebody else looked at it objectively. So, yeah, tell oh, yeah. me about that. And, and this is it. I think it was one of the first in the country. It came out in April of 2020. It was, it was uh, done by the Economy League. And what they did is they studied 10 years of data about pardons in Pennsylvania. So they started in 2008 and they ended in 2018. And they looked at everybody who had applied for a pardon and then gotten a pardon, okay? And back then it took about five years to go from application to actually getting one. So they're really looking about the economic consequences from 2013 to 2018. Out of the 3,000 or such people that applied, only about a third got it. So about a thousand people. Those thousand people returned $16.5 million to communities across the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania mostly in mid-level or lower income communities with no cost at all, right? Didn't cost it all the, the, the cost of the ink, right? Of the governor's signature. But all this was, it allowed them to get jobs they were qualified for, brought in more monies they could spend on housing or foodstuffs or local businesses or going on trips or doing what people generally do. Um, so this was, this was an amazing study about how pardons, yeah, they're really good for the individual. And yeah, they're really good for the family because it helps get them out of intergenerational poverty. But this is really good for the rest of us because it takes people off of the social welfare roles and puts them into the production roles that bring money into our communities, some of them that are hardest hit by poverty. So it's, but it's really good for the individuals. It's really good for our community. And it's really good for the employers because then they're producing people who are going to contribute really well to their businesses further add further diversity to their workforce, make them very appreciative, and they're going to be hard workers. So it's, it's, it's all win-win. One of the things that uh, the, 
the listeners will have heard by now a couple of times, uh, and those who know me in Lycoming County know that I believe we need to view ourselves as one community, that we're not a community of justice involved, a black community, a white community, rich or poor. I kind of set the artistic community off to the side. Arts is different. But other than that, we, we, everybody else is one community. Uh, I'm kidding, everybody. But um, you know, when I look at that, one of the things that that has struck me and has motivated me in these conversations is that we want to help people go from being an objectified checkmark in a box and help all of us understand that what, what we want them to become is, and welcome them back in the community as members of the community, as neighbors, as customers, as employees, as friends, and that we are part of a community overall. And that as you, know, you I like that study, that that study highlights that this does have selfishly and altruistically uh, impacts on the community. Yeah, and listen, um, uh, I'm a rich, privileged white guy who grew up in the suburbs and went to the best schools, right? So what are criminal records to me? When I got arrested when I was a kid, I got taken to the station house. I don't remember if I was booked, but the worst thing that ever happened to me was my dad was called in from the golf course, okay, and had to come get me. That was not good for me and my father, but it wasn't what happened to most people these days when you're brought into the criminal justice system. Yeah. And the problem is none of us, is none of us, listening or not, is defined by the worst thing you ever did, right? When, when we grew up, we were taught about the criminal law, which is, you know, the rules out there, you violate them, you're going to get punished. But when you're done your punishment, then, you know, right, you've repaid your debt to society. That's what we're told. Know, you repaid your debt. Now go out there and be a good boy again or girl. Um, that's just not how it works. The American Bar Association has identified 40,000, they call, they call them post-punishments, post-punishment punishments across the United States. These are all the things that hurt people after they've done their time and paid the fine, right? I mean, it's just... Judge says this is what you need to do because to repay your debt and be punished for what you did. But after the judge has done that, we continue to punish these people thoughtlessly and their families. And institutionally. I mean, and institutionally. I mean, it makes no sense, but it's mostly because we're not thinking about it. And, you know, quite frankly, why wouldn't we want to give people the chance to be better people? I mean, isn't that what it's all about? We want society to be at its highest and best and have everyone contributing to the best they can. I mean, it's. It's really stupid to, you know, make people get up every morning, morning and wonder how they're going to feed their families, right? That's not the American dream. Yeah, you know, I, I appreciate what you're talking about, uh, you know, white, older, white, male, privileged. Um, I grew up in middle class suburbs of Washington, D.C., public school guy. Uh, I may not have gone to the best schools, but, you know, Western Maryland College and the Air Force Graduate School are pretty awesome as far as they were for me. And you're right. I the only time I got in trouble was on an Air Force base. They dragged me in. They called the major and said, pick up this cadet and take him back to back to his dormitory, right? Yeah. Um, now, I, I bring that up to kind of get to another piece. When we hear pardons, those of us that just watch the news, it almost seems like a pardon gets uh, treated like a pejorative because it's what presidents do for their buddies. <laughs> uh, but you're talking about a thousand people that got pardons that sounds like they weren't buddy buddy with the governor these weren't and, and there's a whole process that keeps that from happening at least in pennsylvania is that right that, that is right um, um the pardon 
power goes to the chief executive of every you know the state or the federal government. And it really did come across um, the the ocean with William Penn. Um, back then, the only thing that the king said to William Penn is, "You can forgive everyone except those who are trying to commit treason against me." In which case, you can't <laughs> forgive them. And you know that was okay. <laughs> Um, in the mid 1800s, well, a bunch of people signed a document that therefore would not get pardoned <laughs> yeah. either, right? In 1776, something like that. Yeah, they would not have been pardoned. That's true. <laughs> um, but the mid 1800s, the governor of Pennsylvania was selling pardons and giving them to his best friends. I mean, maybe it sounds a little familiar. Indulgences. But, well, kind of, right? Um, and but what happened was so that the legislature rose up in arms. And the, uh, they prepared a, an amendment to Pennsylvania's constitution, which the citizens then adopted, saying no more of this behind-the-scenes, one-on-one stuff. You can, the governor can still have the power to pardon, but can only, to, can only pardon people who have been recommended to him by this board of pardons. And the board of pardons is five people. It has two elected officials and three appointed individuals. The elected officials are the lieutenant governor, and the attorney general, and then there are three people who are appointed by the governor with the consent of the Senate, a corrections expert, a medical doctor, and a victim's advocate. Mm-hmm. Now, again, we're not talking to people inside the walls who are there for murder or whatever. We're talking about people who are outside, they've served their time or whatever. You need three out of the five votes to get to the governor. And it, the voting has to occur in public after public notice. So no, no backroom deals, no last minute pardons coming out of nowhere or you know, for whatever. These are publicly performed ceremonies of inquisition and voting. And you got to get three votes to get to the governor. And then the governor's got to be the fourth and final vote. So very different. It was the same back in the 1800s. Totally different from 100, for 170 years now. So now of the of the one thousand that uh, you you said out of three thousand one thousand were, were pardoned and it resulted in millions of dollars in economic growth for the community and I bring that up again to repeat it because it was so good to hear um, what percentage of of that thousand or or I guess I should be asking what percentage of the two thousand that did not get pardoned went to the governor and the governor then ultimately said no or does that happen? Or is it pretty much once that goes through the parole board? I mean, I'm sorry, the uh, pardon the pardon board. board yeah. the, the governor pretty much says, "Okay, you've done all the due diligence on this. I will sign it." Um, I, I, they didn't. They didn't release the number on that. Um, but so let me give you the numbers today. Okay. Okay. Uh, the numbers today, um, uh, and this is largely a result of uh, uh, John Fetterman being elected lieutenant governor in 2018. He becomes chair of the Board of Pardons in February of 2019. He works very closely with the Attorney General, our our chief law enforcement officer in Pennsylvania, Josh Shapiro. And they work with the three other people and they come up with a new approach to pardons, which which is much more restorative and looks at not mercy, but the self interest of our community in getting people back to work. So they have now tripled the number of hearings that happen every year. They're now getting over, I think it's almost 1,500 applications for pardon a year, up from 400. The board is, has had to go through a number of different changes. It has a larger staff. 
The application is now written in plain English. It's free to get. You don't need a lawyer. Um, the, uh, it's, the instructions are in plain English. They're not elegant bureaucrat. Um, the result now is that over 80%, over 80% of the people who, who apply for a pardon actually get a hearing. And out of the number that get a hearing, over 85% get a recommendation. And the governor is signing 97%. So in essence, you got a better than six out of 10 chance if you just send in your application, right? If you get it filed. But once you get to the hearing stage, you have over an eight out of 10 chance of ending up with a, a pardon from the governor. And so the whole, the shift, it's shifted from, yes, You've seen God and you'll never sin again, which was the standard really for many years because of its religious background into a, all right, you've, you've, you know, you've made up for your crime and you, you've proven you can be trusted to try for a, you know, a new, a new chance, a second chance. The one interesting thing that we haven't mentioned that's part of this process is the board is actually looking to see what the person has done to give back to their community, not just, you know, have you not broken the law again, but what are you doing for us? How have you, you know, how are you contributing to society the way good citizens do? And because of that, and because the board is looking to your work and stability, it's the process is generating human capital in all of these communities. So people are volunteering more, not just bringing in more dollars, but they're bringing in services so people can volunteer and do things. So that, and they're connecting with churches and mosques and synagogues and adding their talent to those organizations plus nonprofits. So this is really a, this is a thoughtful approach to building human capital and economic wealth as you go. And of course, employers have a, a key role to play in that, but they're looking at the downstream and to having a, you know, a diverse workforce, one that's very loyal, one that's going to work their tails off because they want to succeed because they could get a pardon if they do, right? And, and seeing how these things all come together for our, our best interest as a complete and just society. I was going to ask you, what final words would you have for uh, business owners, especially small business owners, as we see them more at the earlier stages as they're coming out and they're on parole or they're on probation. I think you pretty much wrapped it up. <laughs> what, would you, what would you say uh, to those businesses? I mean, obviously they're not looking at someone who has a pardon. They've already gone through a lot of that, but what would you say to those, those small business owners? Well, the, look, um, you got to act in your self-interest, right? But it's not in your interest to disqualify people who could really do the job just because they crossed over the line and got caught, where a lot of others of us crossed the line and didn't get caught, right? And so what, what the, the wisdom that's coming out of the ban the box laws and stuff, which don't apply in your county and in most of the counties in Pennsylvania, is it really makes no sense. It makes no sense to look at the criminal records of people when they finished the crime seven years ago, for God's sake. I mean, come on, cut these guys a break. Um, and if you're really interested in promoting loyalty, see if you can help them apply for the pardon or connect with organizations in your county or other counties 
that are thinking about expungements and helping with pardons because you don't need a lawyer. Um, and maybe even help them and their families, because some of the some of your employees won't have criminal records, but members of their family might. Now, we've worked in, in Wilkesboro. The, the, law, the law, law association there, the Lawyers Association, has already been trained in doing uh, uh, pardon work. So if you're rich enough and can afford a lawyer, they can help you. And if, you're, if you can't afford it, they're volunteers to help low-income folks. And that is happening in a lot of counties around the Northeast. I, I live up in Gouldsboro, and so we're doing it up here. And I'm really proud. We have a huge, really big project that's kicking off in Lackawanna County. This is something that every county can do. There are pardon projects up and running now in six counties. I'm working with nine counties. This is something that we as a community can do. And there are people who are willing to help. It's really easy, especially for lawyers, because there's no rules, there's no procedures, there's no hearings, there's no deadlines, there's no specialty. Look, wills and estates lawyers and real estate lawyers can help. You do not need to know anything about criminal law. So this is, this is something that we all can do to help our own communities where people live and where they work. Um, and it is, it's really rewarding to be able to help somebody who deserves a second chance go for it. I mean, really, you're part of a team. It'll take you three hours to fill out the application max, including getting the records with an 80% chance of getting a pardon at the end where you will have helped do this. Dang, that's pretty powerful stuff. And if we're looking for ways to make a difference in somebody's life, this is it. Yeah, Toby, thank you so much. I, that actually is inspirational to me that you know, we can actually come alongside and not only provide a job to someone who's going to selfishly help me and grow my business, but that we can contribute back to the community by helping them get that second chance with, with a pardon. And thank you for introducing us to expungement. Uh, commutation, as well as some of the others. And of course, we've now talked about what I call the new PPP program, right? The uh, probation, parole, and pardon. Uh, thank you for the time today. I really do appreciate you taking it. It's my pleasure. And thanks for being interested in this. Not under probation and parole, because the Board of Pardons wants to make sure that you know, you're out there doing good work, not because you're going to be yanked into prison if you don't, but just because this is who you are these days. So don't be confused. A pardon is really going for people who have already completed their sentences, they're not on probation and parole. But the good news is for those who are on probation and parole is because pardons really now are coming out of the governor very quickly in much higher numbers and because Pennsylvania is leading the country in pardon reform, that people who do successfully complete their, their sentences have a very high likelihood of being getting a pardon and being forgiven and having a clean record doing what they want to the second time around. So they get hope just knowing about the system, which of course keeps them on the straight and narrow while they're still on probation and parole. So, so one of the things I've been learning as we have these conversations, as we, as we talk to people that have been in the justice system, as we talk to businesses that hire and organizations that help, one of the things we've been learning is that um, you know, we need to do the same due diligence we would do in hiring anybody else, make sure that they have a demonstrated work ethic, make sure they have the skills that we're looking for and all those sorts of things. But as a business owner, if I hire someone who happens to be checking the box and they happen to have a justice involved or back or background barriers, as I've heard that called, uh, we, we can actually look at this as we are contributing to them having those next steps. And we, for whatever reason, if we want to feel good about ourselves, we're in a sense helping them build 
not I'll borrow it from Joe Biden. We're going to help them build back better if we will. Look, that's, that's really, I couldn't have said it better. Absolutely right. But this isn't just us being nice to those guys, right? These, the people that, that any employer are going to be hiring are qualified people. They're qualified by their experience, by their energy level, their commitment, by what they can showcase they've done. So, you know, don't hire someone with a criminal record because you're being a nice guy. Hire a, a guy with a criminal record because you're selfish and you want to have somebody really, really produce for you. The thing about people with criminal records that isn't uniformly true, but is really true more, way more often than not, is they are incredibly eager for their next job that really allows them to be who they can be. And they don't give up easily on chances like this that are being offered to them. So they're going to produce. I mean, you can predict they're going to produce. But even better than that, for any of us that are in businesses that involve sales to communities, you're, bring, you're taking money and putting more money back into communities that will buy your products. Mm-hmm. And we want to have more out there. Um, maybe I could tell you about that study that just came out last year. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, let's, I love studies because it means somebody else looked at it objectively. So, yeah, tell oh, yeah. me about that. And, and this is it. I think it was one of the first in the country. It came out in April of 2020. It was, it was uh, done by the Economy League. And what they did is they studied 10 years of data about pardons in Pennsylvania. So they started in 2008 and they ended in 2018. And they looked at everybody who had applied for a pardon and then gotten a pardon. Okay? And back then, it took about five years to go from application to actually getting one. So they're really looking about the economic consequences from 2013 to 2018. Out of the 3,000 or such people that applied, only about a third got it. So about thousand people. Those thousand people returned $16.5 million to communities across the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, mostly in mid-level or lower income communities with <laughs> no cost at all, right? Didn't cost it all the, the, the cost of the ink, right? Of the governor's signature. But all this was, it allowed them to get jobs they were qualified for brought in more monies they could spend on housing or foodstuffs or local businesses or going on trips or doing what people generally do. Um, so this was, this was an amazing study about how pardons, yeah, they're really good for the individual. And yeah, they're really good for the family because it helps get them out of intergenerational poverty. But this is really good for the rest of us because it takes people off of the social welfare roles and puts them into the production roles that bring money into our community, some of them that are hardest hit by poverty. So. It's, but it's really good for the individuals. It's really good for our community. And it's really good for the employers because then they're producing people who are going to contribute really well to their businesses, to further add further diversity to their workforce, make them very appreciative, and they're going to be hard workers. So it's, it's, it's all win-win. One of the things that uh, the, the listeners will have heard by now a couple of times, uh, and those who know me in Lycoming like County know that I believe we need to view ourselves as one community, that we're not a community of justice involved, a black community, a white community, rich or poor. I kind of set the artistic community off to the side. Arts is different. But other than that, we, we, everybody else is one community. Uh, I'm kidding, everybody. But um, you know, when I look at that, one of the things that that has struck me and has motivated me in these conversations is that we want to help people go from being an objectified check mark in a box and help all of us understand that what what we want them to become is, and welcome them back in the community as members of the community, as neighbors, as customers, as employees, as friends, 
and that we are part of a community overall. And that as you, know, you I like that study, that that study highlights that this does have selfishly and altruistically uh, impacts on the community. Yeah, and listen, um, uh, I'm a rich, privileged white guy who grew up in the suburbs and went to the best schools, right? So what are criminal records to me? When I got arrested when I was a kid, I got taken to the station house. I don't remember if I was booked, but the worst thing that ever happened to me was my dad was called in from the golf course, okay, and had to come get me. That was not good for me and my father, but it wasn't what happened to most people these days when you're brought into the criminal justice system. Yeah. And the problem is none of us, is none of us, listening or not, is defined by the worst thing you ever did, right? When, when we grew up, we were taught about the criminal law, which is, you know, the rules out there, you violate them, you're going to get punished. But when you're done your punishment, then, you know, right, you've repaid your debt to society. That's what we're told know, you repaid your debt. Now go out there and be a good boy again, poor girl. Um, that's just not how it works. The American Bar Association has identified 40,000, they call, they call them post-punishments, post-punishment punishments across the United States. These are all the things that hurt people after they've done their time and paid the fine, right? I mean, it's just... Judge says this is what you need to do because to repay your debt and be punished for what you did. But after the judge has done that, we continue to punish these people thoughtlessly and their families. And institutionally. I mean, and institutionally. I mean, it makes no sense, but it's mostly because we're not thinking about it. And, you know, quite frankly, why wouldn't we want to give people the chance to be better people? I mean, isn't that what it's all about? We want society to be at its highest and best and have everyone contributing to the best they can. I mean, it's. It's really stupid to, you know, make people get up every morning, morning and wonder how they're going to feed their families, right? That's not the American dream. Yeah, I, I appreciate what you're talking about, uh, you know, white, older, white, male, privileged. Um, I grew up in middle class suburbs of Washington, D.C., public school guy. Uh, I may not have gone to the best schools, but, you know, Western Maryland College and the Air Force Graduate School are pretty awesome as far as they were for me. And you're right. I the only time I got in trouble was on an Air Force base. They dragged me in. They called the major and said, pick up this cadet and take him back to back to his dormitory, right? Yeah. Um, now, I, I bring that up to kind of get to another piece. When we hear pardons, those of us that just watch the news, it almost seems like a pardon gets uh, treated like a pejorative because it's what presidents do for their buddies. <laughs> uh, but you're talking about a thousand people that got pardons that sounds like they weren't buddy buddy with the governor these weren't and, and there's a whole process that keeps that from happening at least in pennsylvania is that right that, that is right um, um the pardon power goes to the chief executive of every you know the state or the federal government and it really did come across um the the ocean with william penn um Back then, the only thing that the king said to William Penn is, you can forgive everyone except those who are trying to commit treason against me, in which case you can't <laughs> forgive them. And, you know, that was okay. Um, in the mid-1800s. Well, a bunch of people signed a document that therefore would not get pardoned <laughs> yeah. either, right? In 1776, something like that? Yeah, they would not have been pardoned. That's true. Um, but the mid-1800s, the governor of Pennsylvania was selling pardons and giving them to his best friends. I mean, maybe it sounds a little familiar. 
indulgences. But, well, kind of, right? Um, and But what happened was, so the, the legislature rose up in arms, and the uh, they prepared a, an amendment to Pennsylvania's constitution, which the citizens then adopted, saying no more of this behind-the-scenes, one-on-one stuff. You can, the governor can still have the power to pardon, but can only, to, can only pardon people who have been recommended to him by this board of pardons. And the board of pardons is five people. It has two elected officials and three appointed individuals. The elected officials are the lieutenant governor and the attorney general. And then there are three people who are appointed by the governor with the consent of the Senate, a corrections expert, a medical doctor, and a victim's advocate. Now, again, we're not talking to people inside the walls who are there for murder or whatever. We're talking about people who are outside. They've served their time or whatever. You need three out of the five votes to get to the governor. And it, the voting has to occur in public after public notice. So no, no backroom deals, no last minute pardons coming out of nowhere or you know, for whatever. These are publicly performed ceremonies of inquisition and voting. And you got to get three votes to get to the governor, and then the governor's got to be the fourth and final vote. So very different. It was the same back in the 1800s. It's totally different from 100, for 170 years now. So now of the, of the 1,000 that uh, you, you said out of 3,000, 1,000 were, were pardoned, and it resulted in millions of dollars in economic growth for the community. And I yep. bring that up again to repeat it because it was so good to hear. Um, what percentage of, of that 1,000 or, or I guess I should be asking, what percentage of the 2,000 that did not get pardoned went to the governor and the governor then ultimately said no, or does that happen? Or is it pretty much once it goes to the parole board, I mean, I'm sorry, the, uh, pardon, the board. pardon board, yeah. the, the governor pretty much says, okay, you've done all the due diligence on this. I will sign it. Um, I, I, they, didn't, they didn't release the number on that. Um, but so let me give you the numbers today, okay? Okay. Uh, the numbers today, um, uh, and this is largely a result of uh, uh, John Fetterman being elected lieutenant governor in 2018. He becomes chair of the Board of Pardons in February of 2019. He works very closely with the Attorney General, our, our chief law enforcement officer in Pennsylvania, Josh Shapiro, and they work with the three other people, and they come up with a new approach to pardons. Which is going, which is much more restorative, and looks at not mercy but the self-interest of our community and getting people back to work. So they have now tripled the number of hearings that happen every year. They're now getting over, I think it's almost fifteen hundred applications for pardon a year, up from four hundred. The board is has had to go through a number of different changes. It has a larger staff. The application is now written in plain English. It's free to get. You don't need a lawyer. Um, the, uh, it's, the instructions are in plain English. They're not an elegant bureaucrat. Um, the result now is that over 80%, over 80% of the people who, who apply for a pardon actually get a hearing. And out of the number that get a hearing, over 85% get a recommendation. And the governor is signing 97%. So in essence, you've got a better than 
six out of 10 chance if you just send in your application, right? If you get it filed. But once you get to the hearing stage, you have over an eight out of 10 chance of ending up with a, a pardon from the governor. And so the whole, the shift, it's shifted from, yes, you've seen God and you'll never sin again, which was the standard really for many years because of its religious background into a, all right, you've, you've, you know, you've made up for your crime and you, you've proven you can be trusted to try for a, you know, a new, a new chance, a second chance. The one interesting thing that we haven't mentioned that's part of this process is the board is actually looking to see what the person has done to give back to their community. Not just, you know, have you not broken the law again, but what are you doing for us? How have you, you know, how are you contributing to society the way good citizens do? And because of that, because the board is looking to your work and stability, it's the process is generating human capital in all these communities. So people are volunteering more, not just bringing in more dollars, but they're bringing in services so people can volunteer and do things. So that, and they're connecting with churches and mosques and synagogues and adding their talent to those organizations plus nonprofits. So this is really a, this is a thoughtful approach to building human capital and economic wealth as you go. And of course, employers have a, a key role to play in that, but they're looking at the downstream and to having a you know a diverse workforce, one that's very loyal, one that's going to work their tails off because they want to succeed because they could get a pardon if they do, right? And and seeing how these things all come together for our our best interest as a complete and just society. I was going to ask you what final words would you have for uh, business owners, especially small business owners, as we see them more at the earlier stages as they're coming out and they're on parole or they're on probation. I think you pretty much wrapped it up. <laughs> what, would you, what would you say uh, to those businesses? I mean, obviously they're not looking at someone who has a pardon. They've already gone through a lot of that, but what would you say to those, those small business owners? Well, the look, um, you got to act in your self-interest, right? But it's not in your interest to disqualify people who could really do the job just because they crossed over the line and got caught, where a lot of others of us crossed the line and didn't get caught, right? And so what, what the, the wisdom that's coming out of the ban the box laws and stuff, which don't apply in your county and in most of the counties in Pennsylvania, is it really makes no sense. It makes no sense to look at the criminal records of people when they finished the crime seven years ago, for God's sake. I mean, come on, cut these guys a break. Um, and if you're really interested in promoting loyalty, see if you can help them apply for the pardon or connect with organizations in your county or other counties that are thinking about expungements and helping with pardons because you don't need a lawyer. Um, and maybe even help them and their families because some of the some of your employees won't have criminal records, but members of their family might. Now, we've worked in Wilkesboro, the, the, law, the law, law association there, the Lawyers Association, has already been trained in doing uh, uh, pardon work. So if you're rich enough and can afford a lawyer, they can help you. And if, you're, if you can't afford it, they're volunteers to help low-income folks. And that is happening in a lot of counties around the Northeast. I, I live up in Gouldsboro. And so we're doing it up here. And I'm really proud. We have a huge, really big project that's kicking off in Lackawanna County. 
This is something that every county can do. There are pardon projects up and running now in six counties. I'm working with nine counties. This is something that we as a community can do. And there are people who are willing to help. It's really easy, especially for lawyers, because there's no rules, there's no procedures, there's no hearings, there's no deadlines, there's no specialty. Look, wills and estates lawyers and real estate lawyers can help. You do not need to know anything about criminal law. So this is this is something that we all can do to help our own communities where people live and where they work. Um, and it is it's really rewarding to be able to help somebody who deserves a second chance go for it. I mean, really, you're part of a team. It'll take you three hours to fill out the application max, including getting the records, with an 80% chance of getting a pardon at the end, where you will have helped do this. Dang, that's pretty powerful stuff. And if we're looking for ways to make a difference in somebody's life, this is it. Yeah, Toby, thank you so much. I, that actually is inspirational to me that you know, we can actually come alongside and not only provide a job to someone who's going to selfishly help me and grow my business, but that we can contribute back to the community by helping them get that second chance with, with a pardon. And thank you for introducing us to expungement, uh, commutation, as well as some of the others. And of course, we've now talked about what I call the new PPP program, right? The uh, probation, parole, and pardon. Uh, thank you for the time today. I really do appreciate you taking it. It's my pleasure. And thanks for being interested in this. Thank you for joining us for this podcast. Hopefully you found it informative and please listen to the remaining parts of this multi-part series as we explore the ways businesses can be successful in hiring and providing support for justice-involved individuals. We encourage you to check out the other resources the Covation Center has for small business owners. Visit our website at covationcenter.org and be sure to watch our video series on YouTube. Just search for Covation Center. We provide various videos designed to help you start and grow your small business. Until next time, have a great day.